making a new series, and I'll read the uh, title page of it. The series is called A Treatise of Effectual Calling and Election in 16 Sermons on 2 Peter 1.10, wherein a Christian may discern whether yet he be effectually called and elected, and what course he ought to take that he may attain the assurance thereof preached by that faithful servant of Christ, Mr. Christopher Love, late minister of Lawrence Jury in London, printed in 1658. Sermon 1, 2 Peter 1.10 Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. To give you an account why I pitched upon these words, it is briefly thus, having spent 17 sermons in treating of the glory of heaven for the elect and of the torments of hell for the reprobate, I deemed it most meet to shut up those two doctrines in the prosecution of this subject, of the assurance of our election and vocation, that so if this doctrine be well improved, you may have establishment in your own hearts that you are freed from the torments of the damned and may be confident you shall be stated into the glory of heaven which God hath provided for all his saints and to the end you might have assurance that you shall be freed from the one and shall enjoy the other you must make it your work according to the words of my text to make your calling and election sure make but that sure and you are sure of heaven. This is the reason why I pitched upon this subject. And it is my care in preaching the word not to choose those texts that are most for my ease to study, but for your profit in hearing. That so one subject might back another, and one subject might strengthen another, and being put together might more serve for your edification and knowledge. I shall not stand long in prefacing. All I, that I have to do in the managing of those words are these three things. First, to show you the scope and dependence of the words. Second, the sense and meaning. And third, to draw out those practical observations which naturally flow from them and then apply the observations deduced. For the scope and dependence of these words you may discern that lies thus. Peter who is called an apostle of the circumcision, that is, an apostle whose work and office it was to preach to the circumcised Jews, as it was Paul's office to preach to the uncircumcised Gentiles, he writ this epistle to the dispersed Jews that were scattered throughout the world through Pontus, Asia, Cappadocia, Galatia, and Bithynia. Whence, observe, God's people are a scattered people, And to them he writes that though they were persons living in different places, yet they had the same faith. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like a precious faith. So that you see the Spirit of God where it works in men, though they live in different places, yet shall they all believe the same truth and all receive the same faith. Though different in language, yet but one God and one faith. The Spirit of God wrought the same faith among these scattered Christians, 
And the apostle writing to these Jews begins his epistle first by way of salutation. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Second, he writes by way of consolation in verse 4, telling them that they are partakers of the divine nature and that they are called to glory and shall enjoy all the promises of the gospel. These are the great props with which he bears up their hearts and comforts them by. And then third, he proceeds by way of exhortation and direction in verse 5. And that is that they should give diligence to add grace to grace that they should make it their main business for which they are sent into the world, not only to get grace, but to thrive in grace. And begins with faith, because this is the foundation, or mother grace. And this he presseth by a double argument. First, considering the benefit shall redound to them in case they perform this duty to labor, to thrive in grace. Verse 8, if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. If you make it your work to grow in grace, you shall never be a barren or unfruitful people. You shall be growing in grace and thriving in God still. Second, from the inconvenience that would accrue in case they should neglect this work, Verse 9, he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. That is, he that lacks these graces, if you do not grow in grace, you will be so dim-sighted, you will so deaden your comforts and darken your evidences that you can have no assurance you shall be saved. And then he comes in with a general exhortation backing all this, that seeing there is this good comes by adding grace to grace, and seeing there will be this evil if you do, no, do it not. It brings all home by a practical inference in the words of my text. Wherefore, brethren, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. The words are not difficult, though indeed they are mangled by the papists who bring this text to martyrdom by their corrupt glosses. I shall only give you a brief paraphrastical explication and so come to the observations. Wherefore, you may see the force of the connection. It is as much as if the apostle should say thus, seeing there comes so great good by growing in grace and seeing the neg- neglect of it doth so much hurt. Not only to deaden your hearts, but darken your comforts, that you can have no clear and comfortable evidence for heaven. Therefore, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Wherefore, the rather brethren, that is, brethren, not in the flesh, but in the faith of Christ, embracing the same faith, keeping to the same head, them the apostle called brethren, wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence. The word in the Greek is more emphatical and signifies to do a thing enough, not in an overly and careless way, but to do a thing with industry, vigilancy, and unweariedness of spirit. It should not be a matter of constraint, but free and voluntary. Give diligence. And the diligence you should use is in matters of the soul. Give diligence in what? To make your calling and election sure. First, I must show you what is meant by calling and then by election. 
and then show you why calling is set before election when in order of time election is before calling. What is meant by calling? Which that you may understand uh, you must know there is a twofold calling, an external and an internal calling. The external calling is that general invitation by which the preaching of the gospel is made unto men to invite them to come in to Jesus Christ and most in the world are called by this call both good and bad. The internal calling, when the Spirit of God accompanies the outward administration of the Word, to call a man from ignorance to knowledge and from a state of nature to a state of grace. And of this calling, my text means make your calling sure. That is, you that live under the preaching of the Gospel, be sure you are called thereby. You're calling an election. Election is an act of God, whereby from all eternity he doth purpose within himself of his own pleasure and will to bring a certain number of men unto salvation by Jesus Christ. But now how can it be said we must make our calling and election sure? Doth not the foundation of God stand sure, as the apostles say, and are not the gifts and calling of God without repentance? How then must we make our election sure? when all the decrees of God stand sure. Beloved, when it is said you must make these sure, you must take it in this sense, not to make them sure on God's part, for it cannot be made more sure than it is already. Whom he hath elected shall be glorified. But make it sure on your parts, that is labor, to have a real, bottomed and grounded assurance that you are effectually called, that you are elected by God in this eternal decree to obtain life and glory by Jesus Christ. Divines therefore give this distinction that there is an assurance of the object and that is sure enough for if God hath decreed you to glory that will hold sure forever. But then there is a certitude of the subject an assurance to the person that is elected and that is when by a reflex act of faith you have a grounded persuasion in your own breasts that you are effectually called and eternally elected an assurance in your own apprehension and knowledge lastly why is calling here set before election when in order of time election is before calling you are called in time by the preaching of the gospel you are elected before all time before the world before the foundation of the world was laid, he hath elected us in Christ, Ephesians 1.4. And if so, what is the reason that calling in my text is put before election? To this I answer, calling in order of words is placed before election, not as if it were in time before it, but to show that we can never be sure of our election till God hath effectually called us by the preaching of the gospel. And therefore, calling is set before election. Thus I have opened things most material, giving you the sense of the words. The whole verse is made up of two parts. First, here is a main duty enjoined in these words. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And secondly, there is a, here is a strong inducement to enforce you to, to this duty. And that, in these last words, if you do these things, you shall never fall. In the duty enjoined, there are several things observable. First, the matter of the duty, to make sure your election and calling. Second, the manner, how you must 
set about this duty and that is with diligence give diligence third the motive to draw you to it in the word wherefore four there is a comparison between this duty and all other duties wherefore the rather do this rather than all other things in the world and lastly here is that loving compilation whereby Peter would gain them to set upon the ready practice of this duty that word brethren wherefore brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure from these five parts there are five points observable one from the matter of the duty make sure your election and vocation hence note that it is the main and chief duty of a Christian in this life to make this sure to his soul that he is effectually called and eternally elected two from the manner how you must do this willingly or diligently note hence that Christians ought to set about this duty of making sure their effectual calling and eternal election with a great deal of diligence third from the motive to this duty wherefore brethren wherefore why considering the evil that comes by slothfulness and by neglect of improving grace therefore give diligence the observation hence is that seeing much hurt comes by the slothfulness and not improving grace this should be should strongly oblige Christians to be the more diligent in all matters of religion for from the comparison of this duty with others wherefore the rather brethren rather than do any other thing do this to make your calling and election sure hence note that of all employments in the world you should rather employ yourselves with diligence in making sure of heaven to make sure that you are effectually called and eternally elected and lastly from the compilation of Peter wherefore brethren note that when we would fasten exhortation upon others to duty we should labor to express to them abundance of affection here Peter when he would urge the Jews to a duty insinuates into them by a loving expression calling them brethren Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. But I should both confound your memory and cross my usual method. Should I speak of these five doctrines thus drawn forth, I'd rather than thus mangle the text, give you the scope and substance thereof in fewer doctrines. You may be pleased, therefore, in dividing the words to draw them into two parts. First, the duty generally pressed, and that in these words give diligence, Second, the particulars, wherein our diligence must be conversant, expressed, and that in two things. First, in making your calling sure, and secondly, in making your election sure. From the words thus divided will arise two points of doctrine. First, from the duty pressed. Give diligence. Note that in all matters of soul concernment, Christians ought to put forth a great deal of diligence. Secondly, from the particulars wherein this duty of diligence is to be conversant, that is, in making your calling and election sure. And hence observe that the great diligence of a Christian ought chiefly to be employed about this, to make sure to his soul that he is effectually called and eternally elected. The, these are the two points I shall draw from these words. I begin with the first, that in all matters of soul concernment, Christians ought to put forth a great deal of diligence 
In the fifth verse it is said, Likewise give all diligence, as if your chief endeavors should be about the concernments of your soul. In the managing of this point I shall lay down the demonstrations of it, then the reasons, and then apply it. First, for the demonstration of it. It appears that in all soul concernments you should put forth a great deal of diligence by those resemblances that the work belonging to the salvation of the soul is compared to in scripture. First, uh, sometimes the work of Christianity in saving the soul is compared to a race. Hebrews 12.2, let us lay aside every weight and run with patience the race that is set before us. And so 1 Corinthians 9.24 and 25. When you walk in your gardens or galleries, you take no pains, but when you run a race, you labor and strive hard and put forth all your strength to attain the end. Why, beloved, matters about the soul. They are compared to running of a race to show what labors and endeavors you must put forth in all employments of the soul. And second, it is compared to wrestling. Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so, 2 Timothy 2.5 An allusion to the Olympic Games and public pastimes when men wrestled before the common multitude, wherein they put forth all their strength and skill to throw each other down. To note that Christianity is no slight work, but a wrestling work, wherein a great deal of diligence and labor is to be put forth. Third is expressed in Scripture by fighting a battle. Second Timothy 4.7 We have fought a good fight, and as soldiers you have endured hardness. Second Timothy 2.3 Now when men are fighting for their lives, what care and what labor and what diligence do they put forth to save themselves? And the work of Christianity and the concernments of the soul is set forth by this resemblance. For it is compared to one being in agony. Luke 13:24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. <clears throat> the word in the Greek is agonizomai. Strive until you are in agony, as Christ was. Christ was in agony in the garden when he sweat drops of blood, so saith Luke. Strive and strive till you are in agony, that you sweat blood again in the work of your souls. Now put these together. That the work of Christianity is resembled to a race, to a fight, to be in agony, to wrestling, wherein men put forth the most, the utmost of their strength. The resemblance will hold forth this, that you must put forth a great deal of diligence in all matters of soul concernment. And now for the reasons why you must be thus diligent in the matters of Christianity, I shall lay down ten. First, because diligence is required in all matters concerning the body, therefore much more should be put should you put forth diligence in all matters concerning the soul. Diligence is required in all matters concerning the body. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever thou puttest thy hand unto, do it with all thy might. And we read in Psalm 127 of men that rise up early and go to bed late and eat the bread of carefulness and all for the body to sustain that. Now, if you must put forth so much diligence and use so much care to thrive in the body, 
than much more the soul. The soul is a more noble piece than the body. And if you must work your calling, work in your calling, you must much more work out your salvation. If you must labor for earth, you must much more labor for heaven. If you labor to lay up treasure here, you should much more labor to lay up treasure for hereafter. If you work and toil, and all to find subsistence for a mortal and vile body, you should much more use diligence and take pains for a glorious immortal soul. Second reason, because many have miscarried to all eternity for the want of putting forth diligence in the matters of salvation. Hebrews 12:15, looking diligently lest any fall from the grace of God. <clears throat> Many men did fail of God's grace because they did not look after grace diligently. Why, alas, beloved, how many lose grace and lose Christ for want of diligence? The five foolish virgins lost Christ for want of diligence. Matthew 25. Many have lost heaven by using slight endeavors after heaven. Strive, saith Christ, to enter in at the straight gate, for many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. Their want of diligence, because they only sought and did not strive in the ways of heaven, therefore they fell short and missed it. Third reason, because all you can do for your souls is little enough for to save them. I mean, may you may make use of that uh, expression in Second Peter 4:17. The righteous shall scarcely be saved, though I know it may have reference in some sense to outward salvation only. Yet I may make use of it to this purpose that if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? All the diligence and endeavors you can put forth is little enough, and too too little to save your souls. Ephesians 6.13 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and when you have done all, stand. A strange expression. As much as if the apostles should say all you can do is little enough to stand. When you have done all to stand, you can hardly stand. And when you have done all to get grace, you can hardly get grace. And therefore, when all the diligence could put forth and the ways of God is little enough to save the soul and all little enough to keep on a good profession in the ways of grace when you have done all you can stand Proverbs 4.24 keep thy heart with all diligence the fourth reason you should put forth diligence in all matters of soul concernment because there is a great deal of labor and diligence used against your souls and against your salvation. As first by the devil, First Peter 5.8, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Job 1, when God asked the devil whence he came, he tells him, I, I come from compassing the earth to and fro. The devil is still industrious and indefatigable to damn souls. He went compassing the earth to damn souls. Why, O beloved, shall the devil use diligence to damn thy soul, and wilt thou use none to save it? Shall he go about compassing the earth to damn thee, and wilt not thou stir one foot in ordinances and duties, and all to save that poor soul of thine? 
again, as the devil, so wicked men. They use diligence against the soul also. Matthew 23:15. it is said of the Pharisees, they would compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when they had made him, they made him twofold more a child of hell before. Mark how indefatigable they would be. They would take so great a journey to damn a poor soul. Thus are wicked men. Ephesians 4.14 It is said of false teachers, they lie in wait to deceive. They will be so industrious, they will lie and watch opportunities. Beloved, look over the world. How industrious will your companions be to draw you to sin, to draw you to the alehouse, to draw you to profaneness. And therefore, seeing wicked men use diligence to damn your souls, have you not reason in all matters of soul concernment to put forth a great deal of diligence? <coughs> the fifth reason, because wicked men put forth a great deal of diligence to damn their own souls, and you yourselves have done so in the days of your unregeneracy. What pains will a drunkard take to sit all day and all night at his pots? What pains will a robber take to endure the darkness of the night, the coldness of the weather, the danger of being taken, and all to break open a house to get a little gain? What diligence will an adulterer use to watch for an harlot in the twilight in the evening tide? Why? Shall wicked men, in the phrase of Habakkuk, weary themselves in vanities, tire out themselves to damn their own souls, and wilt thou do nothing to save thy soul? It is said of wicked men in Micah 7.3, they do evil with both hands greedily. A man may sin with one hand enough to damn him, yet they were so eager they would sin with both. Shall wicked men put forth both hands to sin? And wilt not thou put a finger to holiness, put a hand to the weight of God? You have a phrase in Jeremiah 23.10, Their whole course is evil, and therefore it is not right. A strange expression. God doth there complain of men that they were not only wicked, but they were forcibly evil. They were strong in their wickedness and laborious in their profaneness. And shall wicked men force God to damn them, as it were? Shall wicked men be violent in a way of sin, and wilt not thou with one hand labor to save thy soul an old father seeing a gentlewoman spend three hours in beholding her face in the glass to trim herself when she came down he fell a weeping being asked why he wept answered because this woman hath spent more hours in a morning to damn herself than ever I spent in religious duties to save my soul Alas, many men are, in more, are more diligent to damn themselves than many of us are to save our souls, which should strongly engage you to put forth diligence in all matters of soul concernment. Sixth reason, because the more diligent thou art, the less busy and operative will be the motions of sin and suggestions of Satan be in thy spirit. It is the speech of Bernard by how much the more, saith he, the devil finds a man well employed, by so much the less will he be able to fasten a temptation upon him. The more diligent, the more industrious you are in heaven's way, 
the less force will the temptation of the devil have upon you. I remember it was the speech of Mr. Greenham that when the devil tempted a poor soul, she came to him for advice to resist the temptation and he gave her this answer. Never be idle, but be always well employed. For in my own experience, I found this. When the devil came to tempt me, I would tell the devil, I am not at leisure to hear, hearken to thy temptations. And by this means, I did resist his assaults. Beloved, tell the devil when he tempts you, you are not at leisure to lend an ear to his temptations. And then he will never fasten upon you. The devil never gets advantage of us, but either when we are out of God's way or idle, or have our hand in some sinful employment, and then the devil gets power over us. If once you slack in diligence in this spiritual industry, you do even tempt the devil to tempt you. You lay yourselves open to a world of sin and a world of snares. As you know it is with water, whilst the stream keeps running, it keeps clear. But let it stand still, it breeds frogs and toads and all manner of filth. So while you keep going, you keep clear. But do but once flag in your diligence and stand still. And oh, what a puddle of filth and sin will thy heart be. The keys that you keep in your pocket and use every day are bright. The keys seldom used, the very rust eats them out. So it is with your graces. Not used with diligence, they will soon grow rusty and decay. The less diligent you are, the more will sin and Satan fall upon you. Hebrews 6.12 We desire you, saith the Apostle, every one of you, to show the same diligence. To what? That you be not slothful. As if he should say, if once you slacken in diligence, the sin of slothfulness will soon grow upon you. Whereas now, the more diligent you are, the less busy and operative will be the suggestions of Satan and the operations of sin be in thy soul. While men sleep, the enemy came and sowed tares. Matthew 13.25 As you know it is with the body, a man that is given to live a, sed a sedentary life, a life of sitting, those bodies are more exposed to ill humors, and therefore the life of scholars is the life most exposed to diseases. But those whose livelihoods are in handicraft trades, always in motion and stirring, the motion expels the ill humors that they cannot seize upon the body. It is so in the soul. The less you act in matters of soul concernment, the more spiritual diseases and spiritual infirmities will grow upon you. Whereas the more active and industrious you are, the less power will ill distempers and humors have to seize upon the soul. Seventh reason, because the more diligent you are in matters pertaining to the soul, the nearer resemblance and conformity you carry to Jesus Christ. You read of Christ that he went about always doing good. And when his father and mother missed him and went three days sorrowing to seek him and having found him, asked him, Where hast thou been? What ye not, saith Christ, I was about my father's business. As if he should say, I was not about any evil work, but to glorify my God and promote the honor of my father. This was my work. And elsewhere he tells us that it was his meat and drink to do the will of his Father. 
Here was a diligent person indeed. Why, the more industrious you are and the more diligent you are in matters of the soul, the more like you are to Jesus Christ. And where can there be a better pattern for you to resemble or a better copy for you to write by? Eighth reason, because the more diligent you are in this employment, the more peace and the more profit will accrue to your own souls. The more peace will accrue, the more industrious you are. Second Peter 3.14 Be you diligent, saith the Apostle. What? That you may be found of Christ in peace, without spot and blameless. And so Isaiah 32.17 The work of righteousness is peace, and the effect thereof quietness forever. It is not their habit or having of grace that is peace, but it is the working of it and being industrious in it, and the acting of it in your lives that brings peace to your souls. And then it will not only bring peace, but it brings profit also. I may say, as Solomon saith, Proverbs 13.4, the hand of the diligent maketh rich. I am sure that the hand of a diligent Christian, that is, industrious in God's ways, will make him rich in grace, when those who are spiritual sluggards will come to spiritual poverty. And so 1 Corinthians 15, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor shall not be in vain in the Lord. If then you are industrious in the work of grace, it shall not be in vain, but you shall get by all that you do in the, in the Lord. Ninth reason, because you have lost more grace in a little time than you can ever regain by all the diligence you can put forth. Should you live never so long? You had all graces once in Adam, but Adam, by one morsel of forbidden fruit, lost all that grace which you cannot now regain by never so much diligence. Should you pray till you can speak no more? And should you sigh to the breaking of your loins? Should every word be a sigh, and every sigh a tear, and every tear a drop of blood, you would never be able to recover that grace which you lost in Adam. You obliterated the beautiful image of God. You lost that knowledge by the commission of one sin which you cannot regain by 10,000 sermons or doing 10,000 duties. Have not you therefore need of diligence, seeing you have lost so much? in so little time by which all your diligence you will never fully recover tenth reason because the best of you have lived a long time either using diligence to damn yourselves or else taking no care to save yourselves one or both therefore you had need now to set about the work beloved I may say as Seneca did of the heathen that a great part of man's life does pass away in doing evil, the greatest part in doing nothing, the whole of a man's life in doing other things than he should do. And truly, so I may say to you, a great part of your lives hath passed in sinning away your salvation, in taking pains to damn your souls, and if not so gross, I believe a great part hath passed away in doing nothing for your salvation in not praying for salvation, in not hearing for salvation, 
in not reading for salvation, in not mourning for salvation, in doing nothing for heaven. And if it be so that you have thus spent your time, you have great cause now to put your hand to the work and to use all diligence in matters pertaining to your salvation. A man going a journey that hath gone the greatest part of his time out of his way, he had need to mend his pace when he comes into the right way again. So if we have spent the most part of our time in vain, we had need to give the more diligence for the time to come. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.